I don't know about you, but I get a lot of phone calls. And because of, of the way things go a lot of times, either from being in meetings or appointments, when I'm busy, I let those calls go to voicemail. And I tell myself, it's okay, I can, I can get back to it later. I'll return those calls later. But what will happen sometimes when things are really busy in life, I will let myself forget about returning those calls. And I'm ashamed to say that sometimes it takes days or weeks even before I call that person back. And I have to apologize and tell them I'm sorry that I didn't call them back sooner. And whether you realize it or not, we so often do the same thing to God. You see, when we put total trust in God and He saves us and He restores us and redeems us, He also puts a call on our life to partner with Him in ministry to bring the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And you see, this call on your life is how you ultimately achieve your life's purpose. And that's what we've been talking about for the last few sessions. We started out this series about finding ourselves. How do I find myself in this human experience, in this life that we live? And so we started at the beginning to build a foundation of a worldview. And we said that our worldview is the lens that we see the world through. It's the way we experience life. It's the perspective we have. And we said that a proper worldview shows us what is true. A proper worldview shows us what is true. And we learned that we had to answer the four questions of ontology, the four ontological questions of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Origin, where did everything come from? Meaning, what's the purpose of life? Morality, who determines what's right and what's wrong? And destiny, what happens to me when I die? And so we By examining those questions, we came to the conclusion that only the Christian worldview adequately answers those four questions, that only the Christian perspective makes sense of the human experience. And so in that process, that moved to the next step, that once we established our worldview and recognized that only the Christian worldview satisfies those four questions, we said, okay, who am I? What's my identity? And so we recognized by going back to the beginning, we said if we want to know something was made for, we had to go to its creator, right? And we went back to the beginning, to the book of Genesis, and saw that God made us on purpose, with purpose, for a purpose. He made us on purpose. We are not an accident. He made us with purpose. We have value. We are unique. No one else is like us. And we were made for a purpose. We exist to bring the kingdom of heaven here on earth. That that's what God created Adam and Eve to do. You see, death was not part of God's original plan. And and the original goal, as Adam and Eve set out, God tasked them to fill the earth and govern it, to subdue it, to run it. And that the goal of earth was for humans to do what God does in heaven. We were meant to be a, a mirror image. We were supposed to bring God's kingdom to earth like it is in heaven. And sadly, sin has divorced us from that identity. And it's only in the person of Jesus that we can reclaim that identity and see ourselves clearly. But bringing the kingdom of heaven here on earth is so broad. There's so many different aspects, so many different facets, so many different ways that happens. 
And that's where we're going to look at today. We're going to go from the big picture view to, to zoom in on the close-up of you and I. That you and I bring the kingdom of heaven here on earth when we are faithful to answer the call of God. Now, once again, the way we do that can be confusing. And so to find the answer for how we answer that call that God places on our lives, we've got to once again go back to the scriptures. And we're going to look at the life of Esther, queen of Persia, that is a Jewish woman that God orchestrates through divine favor to put her on the throne and will eventually use her to save the entire Jewish people. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn with me to the book of Esther. But before we read it, I want to encourage you to read it in context. So I'm going to set the stage for you as you find your spot because it's so important for us to read any text, but especially the Bible in context. Just as when I was an English teacher, I would never give Dante's Inferno or Homer's Iliad to my students and say, here you go, just read it, you'll get it, you'll understand all of it. I'd never do that. And the same way I would never do that, I shouldn't hand another person a Bible and say, here, just read it. You'll get it. You'll understand all of it. We need to train people and disciple people in such a way that they know they don't need to just read the Bible. They need to study it. And to do that, we've got to understand the context. And so in the book of Esther, Esther is a young Jewish woman. She would have been between the ages of 13 and 16 because she's not married. And in the first chapter of the book, we see that the Queen of Persia, Queen Vashti, ends up not following the, the decree, the, the, the command of King Xerxes, who is the, the King of Persia, and he reigned between 485 BC and 465 BC. And he's throwing this massive party, and he wants all of his magistrates and all the nobles to see how beautiful his queen is. And so he tells Vashti to dress up, get dolled up, put her crown on, and come let everybody look at her beauty and marvel at it. And she refuses to do it. And so he deposes her as queen, and his advisors tell him to, to just invite all of the eligible women who haven't been married yet to, to come to be presented in front of the king and for him to choose his next queen for them. And since Esther is an unmarried young woman, she gets caught up in it and she's going to get brought in front of the king. And we're going to see how God puts a call on her life that will eventually be used to save all of the Jewish people who are at this time in captivity to the Persians after the Persians conquered Babylon and after Babylon conquered Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And so we pick up in the story of the life of Esther in Esther chapter 2, starting in verse 8. So as a result of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other young women, was brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and placed in Haggai's care. Now Haggai was in charge of all of the king's, uh, the harem, of all the women in, king's in the king's harem. And so in verse 9 it says, Haggai was very impressed with Esther and treated her kindly. He quickly ordered a special menu for her and provided her with beauty treatments. He also assigned her seven maids specially chosen from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. 
And so we see from the very onset of this situation that Esther receives divine favor, that God is causing other people to act in favor of Esther, that she's given special treatment, that she has is, is received in a special way, that she gets a special diet that lets her stay true to her Jewish customs and the law of Moses so she would not eat unclean foods and become defiled. And she even is given a special place in the harem, the best place where she would get the greatest care. And so we see this divine favor carry on further in the chapter in verse 16, where it says, Esther was taken to King Xerxes at the royal palace in the early winter of the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. And so we see from the onset that Esther is receiving this divine favor and gets made queen. And this is where we see that this was not just a Cinderella story. We don't want to just stop here and say, oh, look, this is a, a regular everyday girl. She gets raised up to become queen. No, this is all about how God is setting the stage for him to put a call on her life so that she could do amazing things on so that God would use her to save all of the Jews. How does this work? Well, the first thing we see is that Esther's call came from change. Her call came from change. There she was in her home. You see, her parents died when she was young, and she was taken into the home of her cousin Mordecai, who raised her like a daughter. And as she gets taken from her home in the season of change, she gets placed in the king's harem, and then eventually life changes so radically, she becomes overnight the queen of all of Persia. And so why does God allow it to happen in a season of change? Well, for Esther, it was so that she could be put in the position for God to do through her what he wanted to accomplish. But for us, one of the other sides and important things to realize when we go through our seasons of change and God is putting the call on our lives is because in a season of change is when we pay attention to what God's doing. When life is comfortable, it's part of human nature. We get distracted. It's part of our sin nature. We're not always focused on God when we're comfortable. We get focused on life and the busyness of it. But when seasons of change come, when life gets tossed upside down, that's when we look around and say, okay, God, where are you? What are you doing? And so just as Esther's call came in a season of change, your call and my call from God will as well. But it doesn't stop there. You see, as the story unfolds, a man named Haman ends up hating Esther's cousin Mordecai. You see, Haman had a high position in the Persian government. And Haman loved when he showed up and, and people would bow down and would show reverence to him and respect to him. They would bow down with their faces to the ground. And Haman loved this. It, it just puffed up his ego. But Mordecai refused to do that. Mordecai would only bow in worship of the one true God. And so Haman gets this idea after talking to his own advisors, and, so, and they tell him to just kill all the Jews, and that'll get rid of Mordecai. And so Haman, as we skip forward to chapter 3, has this idea, and he goes to the king with it. It says, and starting in verse 8 of chapter 3, Then Haman approached King Xerxes and said, There's a certain race of people scattered through all the provinces of your empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws are different from those of any other people, and they refuse to obey the laws of the king. So it is not in the king's interest to let them live. If it please the king, 
issue a decree that they be destroyed, and I will give ten thousand large sacks of silver to the government administrators to be deposited in the royal treasury. The king agreed, confirming his decision by removing his signet ring from his finger and giving it to Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. The king said, The money and the people are both yours to do with as you see fit. And so now the conflict comes up. Not only has this season of change happened to bring Esther to the throne, but now comes the conflict that Esther finds out that all of her people, all of the Jews, are going to be killed. It's going to be genocide. And Haman's going to be the one to do it. And as we look at this conflict, Esther has to make a decision. You see, it sounds really simple to say, oh, just go talk to the king. But in that culture, and this again, this is why context is key, Esther could not just walk up and talk to the king anytime she wanted to. She had to be invited in. She had to be asked into his presence. And he had his hand out to her, put out to her his royal scepter for her to touch, to give her safety. For Esther to just go into the king's presence uninvited and unannounced was to risk her life. He could have her put to death. And so in this conflict, Esther has to decide between her own life and the lives of her people. And in this process, she lets Mordecai know her fears. And Mordecai, in chapter 4, sends a reply to her. And it's so powerful. Look at this in chapter 4, verse 13. It says, Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. You see, Mordecai recognizes that God's going to keep his promise, that God made numerous covenants with his people throughout history, and Mordecai knows God's going to keep his promise, but he also recognizes that if Esther doesn't answer the call God is putting on her life, then it's going to cause the deaths of a lot of people. And he goes on to say this, and you've heard this before, I'm sure. He says this, Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this? You see, we see that that Esther's call came in a season of change, but it also came in a season of conflict. And the same thing happens to you and I when this model applies to us, when we get our call from God that is going to cause conflict in our lives as well as change. It's going to cause conflict because we're going to have to decide, do we want to follow our own desires or God's desires? And it's almost always going to cost us something. It's going to cause us to risk something. But this is where the third step in answering our call comes. You see, not only Does our call come in change and our call come through conflict? Our call also comes from cooperation. It's going to mean that we're going to have to step up and say, Okay, God, I'll follow you. Okay, God, I'll do what you asked me to do. I don't like it. I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. In the middle of all this change, in the middle of all this conflict, I'm going to cooperate with you and your will, and I'm going to go along. And that's exactly what we see happen to Esther. Esther finally agrees to cooperate. And after this whole thing of going to the king and being accepted and inviting the king and Haman to a banquet, and then we it looks like, she, from, we don't know for sure, but it looks like she was too scared in the first one. She says, let me have another banquet, and you guys come to it. And so at the second banquet, we see that the king and Haman are going to be with Esther when Esther finally 
stands up and answers the call God has called her to. And in Esther chapter 7, if you move forward even more, starting in verse 1, we see this happen. It says, So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. On the second occasion, while they were drinking, the king again said to Esther, because he said it to her before, earlier, Tell me what you want, Queen Esther. What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. Once again, that divine favor of God. Queen Esther replied, If I have found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people be spared. For my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. If we had merely been sold as slaves, I could remain quiet, but that would be too trivial a matter to warrant disturbing the king. Who would do such a thing, King Xerxes demanded? Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? And Esther replied, This wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. Now remember, Haman didn't know that Esther was a Jew. Esther has been keeping this quiet the whole time. And Haman, and all of his plotting, and all of his scheming, and all of his goals, he, he is so mad at Mordecai that he even, we find out in the book, has a sharpened pole in his backyard that he's going to impale Mordecai on. That's his plan. But in the middle of all of his scheming, he doesn't know that Esther is a Jew. And when it finally comes to light, it says in verse 7, Then the king jumped to his feet in a rage and went out into the palace garden. You see, Esther, in honoring her call, through the change, through the conflict, and in her cooperation, she was able to step into her call in confidence. You see, you and I, when we answer our call, we, we answer our call by going out, stepping out in confidence, trusting God. And we see this throughout the scriptures. The word for belief and the word for faith in the New Testament in the Greek is the word pisteo. It means total trust. And so whenever, you know, uh, Jesus would ask the disciples after they remember like the, 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 when the, Jesus calmed the seas and the storm and he says, where's your faith? He's not just talking about belief like, oh, do you believe that, you know, that, that, that God is out there somewhere, you know? No, he's saying, where's your trust? Where's your trust in me? And total trust, right? That's what it takes for us to answer our call. It's not just cooperation and saying, okay, God, I'm going to step out. It's stepping out in confidence to know that God's going to keep his promises. The way that, that David could fight Goliath was because he knew that God had been faithful with the lion and the bear who attacked his sheep, and he fought them off. And David knew that he could walk on that battlefield with confidence. And Esther did the same thing, and so can you and I. When God puts a call on our lives, that call will come from confidence. And so as the story continues towards its conclusion, Haman is put to death. Mordecai gets promoted because Mordecai works in the palace. And we see earlier in the story that Mordecai has served honorably and has even saved the king from an assassination. And so Mordecai gets Haman's job and even gets to wear the signet ring of the king representing his authority. All of this happens because Esther was willing to honor the call and the people celebrate. It goes on to say at the end of the book in Esther chapter 9 and verse 20, it says, Mordecai recorded these events and sent letters to the Jews near and far throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, calling on them to celebrate an annual festival on these two days. See, what had happened was Esther worked with the king to create a new decree 
that said that the Jews could fight against their enemies. And after two days of fighting, the people said, no, no, we don't want to mess with the Jews because God's on their side. And God used this terrible situation to become something to celebrate and become something that would make God's name famous throughout all of Persia. And as a result, Mordecai tells them, hey, let's celebrate on these two days every year. Let's make an annual festival. And that festival is still celebrated today called Purim. And Mordecai told them to do this. He told them to celebrate these days with feasting and gladness and by giving gifts of food to each other and presents to the poor. This could commemorate a time when the Jews gained relief from their enemies and when their sorrow was turned into gladness and their mourning into joy. So we see that Esther honored her call, answered her call, and God used that to save all of the Jews, the entire Jewish nation, from genocide. And so as we apply this to our lives, our big truth for this time together is that answering your call means giving God your all. Answering your call means giving God your all. You see, this is where this total trust comes in. God doesn't want us to follow Him half-heartedly. He doesn't want us to, to just be you know, weekend warriors. He wants us to be everyday followers. Where we put total trust in Him and say, God, in every area of my life, you can have it. But so many times, we are, are so eager to accept God's salvation, but we don't want to partner with Him in ministry. So as we get ready to close today and with our time together, I want to ask you, how are you responding to the call on your life? Are you answering it? Are you walking in it? Are you receptive to it? Are you recognizing that, yes, it came in a season of change. It came through conflict. It came when I was cooperating with God, and now I'm walking in my call with confidence. Or, like me, have you sent your call to voicemail? Then let yourself be so busy to where you keep telling God, okay, God, I'll, I'll return that call eventually. When life's not quite so hectic, not quite so busy, I want to tell you, you're missing out. That just like Mordecai told Esther, that if you don't answer the call, somebody else will. But it was going to cost Esther and her family if Esther didn't. And the same thing's true of you and me. When we don't answer God's call in our life, it costs us. Maybe not through death, like what would happen to Esther. But man, it's going to cost us when we look back and we stand before King Jesus and we look at our lives and we say, wow. We missed out on so much. I missed out because I didn't answer the call. So as we get ready to look at this, I want to close by asking you a few questions that I want to ask you to consider and chew on. First of all, I want to ask you, have you received your calling from God? You see, it doesn't happen right away. We don't get saved one day and put total trust in Jesus, and then boom, the next day we can receive our call. Sometimes it takes months or years before God will call. But I want to ask you if you've received your call. If you have, I hope you're walking in it. But if not, I want to encourage you. Wait by the phone. You know, we live in this in this age where we carry our smartphones with us everywhere we go. We're constantly connected. We're always ready for that call and to answer it when our phone rings. I want to encourage you to do the same thing spiritually. To walk so closely with God that when your call comes, that you've got it right in hand, ready to answer it. But then question number two, are you answering your call? If you have received it, are you answering that call? Or are you sending God to voicemail? Maybe today you have done that. You've sent God to voicemail and said, God, I'm busy. I'll get to it eventually. 
And if that's the case, I want to encourage you to return that voicemail. In prayer, go to God and say, God, I'm sorry I let myself get busy. I'm sorry I made excuses. I'm sorry I put you off. But today I want to honor you and I want to answer that call. I want to trust you. Even if it means change, even if it means conflict, even if it means that I have to cooperate when I don't understand, Lord, help me to answer your call and walk in confidence. And lastly, I want to ask you, what steps are you taking to cooperate in your call? Are you being willing to change and adapt and work through conflict and step out in confidence, even if that means giving things up or letting things go or making adjustments to your schedule? What are you doing to answer your call? Because like Queen Esther, if we answer the call of God on our lives, we will be able to bring the kingdom of heaven here to earth. We will be ambassadors of God's kingdom and we will be able to represent him to people in ways that only you and I can. You see, you, as we've learned in this series of finding ourselves, when we find ourselves, when I find out who I am, then I recognize that, man, God made me. He set me here for a specific purpose and that that is something that only I can do where I am. You see, only you will reach the people that God has put in your life in the way you can. Now, yes, God can use other people. If as a dad, I don't step up and disciple my children, somebody else can do it. God will use other people. But my job, one of my callings, is to disciple my kids. That's, that's what God has called my wife and I to do in our home. There's so many other ways and different opportunities that God will bring into your life. Like I said, sometimes for a season or sometimes for a lifetime. But I encourage you, don't miss out. Don't send God to voicemail. Answer your call. But remember that answering your call means giving God your all. Let's close in prayer. King Jesus, thank you for the men and women that are in the sound of my voice today. And I pray that as they put total trust in you for their lives, that when you call on them, that they would answer. And I pray for the person that has been sending you to voicemail, letting themselves get busy with the hectic craziness of life. I pray that they would call back and they'd return that voicemail. They would call you back in prayer and say, God, I'm sorry. I let myself get busy. Let's get back to where we left off together and that you would put them right back to where you wanted them the whole time. And so, Lord, continue to use us in the unique ways that you made each of us specifically to do to bring your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So, Lord, bless each and every one hearing this today. Bless our ministries. Bless our calls on this earth and those we reach. God, bless it and honor it and receive the glory from it. Amen. Thank you.